This is Fire Rescue One Side Alpha Podcast, putting fire service leaders in front of hot topics facing firefighters today. Now here's the executive editor of FireRescueOne.com and FireChief.com, Chief Mark Bashore. Thanks for joining us on Fire Rescue One Side Alpha Podcast. Uh, we're here today with Keith Stakes. He's a research engineer with uh, Underwriters Laboratory, uh, UL's Firefighter Safety Research Institute. A little bit about Keith. He um, uh, joined that institute back in 2015. He's a fire protection engineer uh, and is a battalion chief with the Bethesda Chevy Chase Rescue Squad in Maryland. Uh, thanks for joining us, Keith. I want to uh, have a little discussion about the most recent um, analysis that um, I recall, at least, coming out of UL, um, and that is the the real broad analysis that UL did about the effects of a coordinated attack. Can you give us the kind of the 10,000 foot look um, of what of that analysis? I want to kind of give our listeners an idea of the scope and scale of this latest project. Sure, Chief. Thank you for uh, having me on this afternoon. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, the most recent project that we've put out again, as you mentioned, was on coordinated fire attack. So this was really a culmination of quite a bit of previous research where we looked at tactics independent of one another. So up to this point, most of the firefighting research is focused on uh, a tactic by itself, meaning horizontal ventilation, for example. We studied that through and through to find out what's the best method of performing that action, when should that be done on the fire ground, and how does that impact both fire growth and then, you know, of course, any potential trapped occupants inside the building. So uh, again, we've looked at projects and tactics independent of one another. This is now bringing everything together and saying, how do we best pair up suppression methods with ventilation methods and uh, really try and get some solid takeaways for the fire service? Yeah, so, you know, it's um, I, I don't want to interrupt, but just as you say that and, you, and we think about ventilation and uh, fire attack and it, it kind of makes me think about some of the kitchen table discussions I've had over the years with people. You know, you, know, you have diehard ventilation uh, folks die hard go to the roof uh, you know I can think of several departments across the country who um, have had some pretty critical incidents from that kind of uh, approach where we always go to the roof we always open the roof and those kinds of things so I know it's been a ventilation it has been a topic a, a pretty much a flashpoint no no pun intended for firefighters across the country uh, and could fill hours worth of discussion around those tables. So, you know, I've worked in places where vertical ventilation was the answer to improve conditions inside for firefighters and residents. And I've worked in places where vertical ventilation was the devil. Uh, and I suspect the devil's in the details in this. And I think your analysis has done a real good job uh, of helping people see and understand those effects of uh, both a coordinated attack and lack of coordinated attack. Uh, so can we can we uh, give the listeners an idea of what the analysis suggests about ventilation, whether it's horizontal, vertical, or through positive pressure? Definitely. So ventilation is a key piece to the puzzle, and it is uh, definitely critical to victim survivability. But in my opinion, through both uh, the research that we've done to date and my personal experience, it, uh, it does not come before water application, whether that be 
in the sequence of tactics or importance for that matter. I think water application is is first and foremost across the board, but uh, ventilation is definitely critical. And some of the high points from the study, uh, you know, all, all types of ventilation can have a positive impact inside the building, obviously, if properly timed and properly coordinated. Um, specifically speaking to your point about vertical ventilation, uh, one of the benefits from this study, uh, again, the study looked at a couple different types of structures, uh, whether it be single family dwellings, multifamily dwellings like garden style apartments, uh, or scaling up into commercial strip malls, trying to see if any of the residential tactics hold. But for the single family portion of this, we looked at a couple different experiments uh, focused on vertical ventilation timed with suppression. And the good news is uh, vertical ventilation, if appropriately timed, uh, can see a positive impact inside the structure. So it does validate a lot of the lingering experience that folks have out there, you know, where they say, hey, I was on the fire attack crew, we were trying to make it inside the structure. And, you know, as soon as we got the hole popped up top, we were able to advance to the seat. So one of the benefits is that uh, that was supported by the research. Uh, specifically speaking to vertical ventilation, it's just a very, very narrow time window. Sure. So if the uh, suppression crew is in position, ready to go, they're flowing water, uh, and either they're held up or they're on the advance to the compartment, you know, that, that vertical ventilation uh, can be in support of them and of the occupants. It's just a, a narrow time window, if you will. Yeah, and I, you know, I think as you were talking about that, I was thinking about uh, Captain Pete Dern uh, in Fresno. Sure. And he's talking about um, single-family homes and the um, the timing. And in their case, in Fresno's case, their report said that you know what, that was just what they did. Uh, that was their direction: go to the roof every time. We're going to open up the roof. And I think your point about uh, timing is the most critical uh, and salient point that I see coming out of that discussion is, um, you know, vertical ventilation can be important to the equation, uh, but it has to be timed or uh, the results could be catastrophic. Definitely. So that that brings it home about vertical ventilation. And then I would honestly look at positive pressure much in the same light in the sense that if it's a, uh, you know, a dialed in group of folks, this is what they train on, it's what the department does, it's properly coordinated and communicated, that that also can have a positive impact uh, with inside the building. But I look at positive pressure as something that might have more of a benefit, you know, in something like a multifamily dwelling, which I'm sure we'll get to in a little bit, where we could look at that as like pressurizing the stairwell and basically protecting the egress path, uh, you know, if you have an enclosed stairwell, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of talks about the whole piece about um, coordination of the extinguishment. How do we get the, the people that still have the we're going to the roof, we're always going to go to the roof? How do we get that message about coordination across? What is it that we're missing? Can you can you help us kind of put those pieces together about the, the criticality of uh, the coordination with extinguishment and ventilation? Sure. So this this will definitely be a, a, a multi-approached answer, but I'll, I'll start with uh, a little bit on horizontal ventilation. So it appears that uh, horizontal ventilation may be the most effective. And where I'm going with this is that in the uh, research performed as a part of this study, ventilating remote spaces within the structure seem to be of uh, pretty high importance when we're looking at getting the structure to return to ambient conditions. 
So if we translate that larger to coordination and different functions that are occurring on the fire ground, it would seem to me that you'd want to have more folks, uh, you know, inside the building, searching the building, because we know that, you know, victim survivability is not always easily determined on the exterior. So if you've got more folks on the inside searching as they're searching, assuming it's coordinated with suppression, you know, they would be venting as they go, uh, not indiscriminately, of course, but venting local to those areas uh, provides a much quicker return to, to survivable and ambient conditions inside the building than, say, a single hole in a given area on the roof. So while you might have a benefit from the vertical ventilation, in a lot of cases in the residential setting, it seems like there is more of a benefit um, to more rapid horizontal ventilation, if you will, once water's on the fire. Yeah. Okay, great. So let's, um, we mentioned uh, multifamily, we'll go to that in just a minute, but let's, before we do that, the second part of the analysis looked at uh, strip malls. So I want to talk a little bit about um, your views on the differences of, um, that you saw out of the strip mall part of the study. Uh, you know, we know most firefighters die in uh, home fires and residential fires. But we also know that strip malls can have quick and catastrophic collapses. Um, I've seen them. I'm sure you've seen them personally. Uh, and certainly strip malls provide different challenges than home fires. What did the research tell you uh, that can help our listeners stay safe? Sure. So strip malls are definitely a unique animal. It gets us into the uh, commercial side of things. And really the goal with this study was to not answer anything about coordination per se, but really try and get a look into how do fires burn in these buildings and uh, what questions can we come up with for future research. So uh, a couple key takeaways here. Uh, first and foremost, I would say water application is key. And what I'm referring to here is, is not necessarily the physical act of suppressing, but talking about where the water is going once it deflects off of a surface. Inside of residential dwellings, typically we're, we're applying water to flat surfaces, whether it be the walls or the ceiling, we know that surface cooling is key, and that's that's our primary means of suppression here in the states. But when you start to get into these commercial dwellings, or sorry, these commercial structures, um, our volumes are a lot larger, and we don't always have flat surfaces. So typically, you're going to have a drop ceiling. Uh, those tiles may or may not be in place. We know that they're just held in place by uh, some lightweight, um, some metal channel. And then above that, obviously, we've got all of our utilities, whether it be HVAC uh, or electric or plumbing, so on and so forth. And whether it be because of your stream or the fire itself, the drop ceiling is going to go away at some point, And your water application is not going to behave at all like it would in a residential dwelling. Yep, yep. So yep. Uh, there's some key takeaways there in terms of maybe not going into it with the same mindset as a residential dwelling, like an O pattern at a fairly rapid speed trying to take control of the space. In the commercial setting, it might be more of a benefit to slow that application down and instead of an O pattern, maybe a side-to-side -side sweep that starts close to you and then would work further back into the space, trying to get that more application on surfaces uh, you know, versus the residential side of things. Yeah. Um, and then we talk about survivability. Right. So, survivability is you know that's our that's our go-to in the fire service you know we've got to get in we've got to go after the victims but one key takeaway for the commercial side of things is you know is that necessarily as important 
and do we need to be putting people into these buildings? So again, as you mentioned, obviously, we're seeing people, uh, line of duty deaths, line of duty injuries in these type of structures. You know, do we need to be committing folks to this type of building, you know, if the fire's advanced enough to the point where we can't see in front of us? Yeah, and I think, you know, that a whole lot of training and experience um, is, is unfortunately shown us that um, we tend to push too far too fast without taking that into consideration. So I appreciate the study looking at, uh, um, you know, and giving some background and some teeth to uh, the, the experience for people to be able to research. Because uh, too many times, you're right, they, I think folks look at uh, those lightweight uh, steel roofs, those lightweight steel truss roofs at the same way they do as uh, a residential home, one or two story residential home, and they're dynamically different. Uh, so I appreciate this. Yeah, so, I appreciate yeah. the study showing that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. For sure. So just to highlight that, uh, as far as the the collapse and kind of the the roof structure, um, you know, there's definitely value to getting folks up high. I wouldn't necessarily say that that would be on the physical fire unit itself, but getting folks up with that kind of bird's eye view on maybe an exposure unit to check out lateral fire extension so on and so forth, and maybe even get a better look at the roof construction would have a huge benefit. Uh, you know, but again, it goes back to do we need to put people on the actual unit itself? Um, when we talk about the collapse, one thing that was very, very eye-opening for these set of experiments was how early into the fire we'd start to see deformation of those joists. And then the only unit that we actually had a full complete collapse in occurred 30 to 45 minutes into the fire when the fire was already knocked down and we were beginning overhaul we didn't have anybody in the building because we were planning for this as far as safety measures but the the roof structure actually collapsed when the beams cooled and pulled back off the walls that they previously pushed out so it's yeah. pretty eye-opening to us to say you know once the fire's out the hazard's not necessarily over as this thing cools it then pulled back and then dropped completely in yeah yep no it's great that uh, you plan for it in advance and have it in that training or uh, in this case a study setting and and be able to keep everybody safe so the rest of the study uh, the third part of the study if you will or analysis looked at multifamilies. so as we talk about multifamilies, a lot of dynamic differences there so in that portion of the analysis i know flow paths was the focus what did we learn there Sure. So kind of the high level conclusion there would be that protection of the egress path uh, is of utmost importance uh, and of equal importance or shortly thereafter, I would say it would be uh, concerns for any extension. So obviously these type of structures are a much higher life hazard. Uh, and if you have an enclosed center stairwell, much like we would around the you know metropolitan DC area here or across the states for that matter, uh, you're going to get yourself into a hazardous situation when you have a fire uh, on a lower floor, for example, and exposure apartments above that could be occupied. So, you know, closing doors are key, uh, pressurizing the stairwell, figuring out how to limit spread into the stairwell. Uh, all of these things are things that need to come into mind when we talk about how we're going to deploy our initial line and what initial ventilation measures might take place. You know, it could boil down to, hey, let's pop our head in the stairwell and see, is it dirty or not? If sure. it's not dirty yet, it means our door is closed and maybe we should try and get that fire from another vantage point, for example. Yeah. And help protect that by not uh, 
Yeah, by not getting in there. So, you know, we talked about, you talked about their uh, open stairwells and open doors. It, it sure seems to me that this study has provided further proof for some of what we already knew, and specifically that closing doors makes a huge difference in fire spread. Can you tell us what uh, UL is doing to help uh, get doors closed? I mean, I know there's a lot of different programs out there, but what's UL doing to help us uh, get doors closed? Sure, definitely. So I'll touch on two two quick points for the uh, the study itself, and then kind of go broader with uh, with what UL is doing as a whole. So for the uh, the coordinated attack study, again, we look at closed doors not just for um, occupants' sake and public safety, but also us closing or controlling doors from the fire service. So that's something that's always built into our experiments, um, whether it be from the public safety or fire service side of things. And like we just mentioned, with multifamily dwellings, obviously it's key to be able to protect that stairwell. Uh, in single-family dwellings, it's key to be able to isolate certain areas of the structure and keep them survivable. And then you could translate it up even further to the commercial setting where we're trying to limit fire growth in that sense. So not necessarily focused on victim survival, but if we can limit that fire growth, we can much better, uh, we can be better able uh, to suppress that fire at a smaller size. So. Mm -hmm. UL in general, again, it's in all of our experiments. Uh, we've put together what we're calling a public safety education advisory group. Uh, so much like all of our projects, we have tech panel members that uh, help guide the research. This is now an advisory group that's dedicated to public safety. And uh, obviously one of those facets is gonna be uh, closed doors. So we have closeyourdoor.org uh, and all of the materials out there that can help out the fire service, or police departments or dispatch centers, uh, everything messaging from all different types of angles to, to help get that point across. Even going so far as to get messaging on public transit and uh, you know apparatus in different departments, really trying to hit it from all angles to, uh, to show the importance of that. Good, good. And I know we worked with uh, UL on a couple of different projects uh, with the close your door, uh, close before you doze, all, all of those different uh, programs, uh, highlighting several uh, rescues. Uh, we did one in Maryland and other in St. Louis, and I know they're working on one in Arizona. Uh, so it, I think your study, along with what UL has been doing uh, collectively for quite some time now, is, is uh, not only making the point and proving to people that uh, closing a door is important, but it's actually saving lives. And, and you know, that you can't uh, you can't put a dollar figure on that and you can't put a study or an analysis name on that. But uh, ultimately, what you're doing is making a difference. And we appreciate that. Um, what else is UL doing to help keep firefighters safe and reduce the fire problem in the United States? Can you give us a little insight there? Sure. So uh, currently, we're fortunately uh, expanding. So we're expanding beyond firefighting research itself, and we're also looking into different areas uh, such as fundamental fire science. So really trying to get down to the basics of how materials burn, looking at smaller scale laboratory testing, uh, you know, focused on materials and how things are changing in the fire environment. Um, we're also focused in the fire investigations arena that's another group uh, that we're looking to provide assistance to, both both with exposure uh, in how they perform their work, but also uh, how fire behavior and firefighting tactics might influence fire patterns, for example. 
Uh, and then obviously public safety, as we mentioned, um, with things like close your door. A uh, couple different areas, we're starting to look into the wildland arena, uh, seeing where we can assist in wildland urban interface problems, and really just try and get our foot into everything fire. And uh, as we expand, figure out how we can help in all of these different areas. And fortunately, we have uh, UL as a good backbone to be able to provide us the resources to make it happen. Outstanding. Keith, I appreciate your time with us today. I want to capture a few of the points that you uh, brought out uh, for our listeners. Uh, and, and it's important that you know we try to capture these things at the end of the day. Uh, the, the takeaways here, uh, number one, the timing of vertical ventilation is important, but proper communication and coordination is critical. So all the ventilation in the world uh, isn't going to make a difference if you don't properly communicate and coordinate that action uh, with extinguishment. Number two, it appears that, uh, and I think this is uh, something that a lot of people probably would would argue, but if you study it and you actually put analysis to it, what you've said here is that uh, it appears that horizontal ventilation uh, actually provides a quicker return to conditions of survivability in the residential environment. Um, number three, and I, you know, we've we joke about this a lot of times. If we just put water on the fire, the fire will go out. It's about the proper application of water that that is key. Um, number four, uh, we need to really question the survivability in commercial structures, not treating them necessarily the same as those residential structures with the higher life hazard. Um, the next is uh, the protection of egress paths in multifamilies. Then we move on to the extension above in uh, those high occupancies, knowing that that is a, a critical component. And then finally, the close your door campaign, uh, big deal for uh, survivability. So I, I appreciate you joining us today, Keith. Uh, we have been talking with Keith Stakes. Uh, he is uh, with the UL Firefighter Safety Research Institute. Keith also serves on um, Fire Rescue One's editorial board. I appreciate your assistance there. And uh, has a lot of good articles and uh, information that you can find on firerescue1.com. I'm Mark Bayshore. Thanks for joining us here on Fire Rescue One's Side Alpha podcast. Keep safe, stay smart, and take care. Thank you, Chief.